When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. Welcome to today's episode of the Softest Steel podcast. I'm Dennis Duran. I'm really happy to introduce my guest for today's conversation. His name is Tim Dumas. I met Tim at an incredible event presented by a mutual friend and leadership expert, Steve Farber. We have built a great friendship based on shared values, first, and second, because he keeps telling me how great I am. Well, maybe great is too strong a word, but how about tolerable? Uh, I, think, I think he's used that fairly often. In my search to find the right elements to include in my introduction, I must admit that there is too many real, interesting, and incredible elements that make Tim Dumas a person you want to know. In his own words then, Tim magnanimously coaches leaders to love unconditionally, dream audaciously, serve generously, and grow purposefully. And yes, I know firsthand that he does all of these. Welcome, Tim. Dennis, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Even better, you know, we've developed a great friendship uh, over the years now. And so it's going to be even more fun getting to speak with you today. It's always a pleasure. Anytime with you, Dennis. I told you as, as we got on today is you're the kind of guy that can just brighten someone's day just by seeing them on a Zoom screen, by being with them, by being on the phone with them. Uh, you're small. You have the very unique way of, <laughs> uh, of, of, of bringing energy to a conversation and making oh. someone say it better. So it's oh my, my pleasure. God. Oh, my God. I just, I'm, I'm exhausted from listening to that. Just exhausted. And, but thank you so much. You're very, very gracious. You know, I think that, you know, one of the, uh, uh, one of the values that we share uh, is a belief in and how the, the qualities of people are what makes a difference. You know, there are, we, we, we both met over the years, uh, many folks who are experts in bodies of knowledge and practices of every discipline, law, accounting, engineering, just it goes on and on and on. And you actually are part of the ownership of a, of a successful business in Canada that has been around for a pretty long time. That's a casual reference, and you can check Tim's uh, LinkedIn. He's, he, he discloses this. He is, uh, he is part owner of, uh, of a fairly large wine and beer store uh, that operates in how many, how many locations now, Tim? Oh, we have 13 locations currently, just about to open our 14th in, uh, in British Columbia here in Canada. Yeah, so uh, not, a, not a small little item, and, but I think the, the importance of mentioning that as I, as I introduce Tim and just get into our conversation is that uh, not only does he work with, with, with leaders in, in a wide range of industries and areas of interest uh, as a coach, he's also an excellent uh, motivational speaker. Uh, and he, so he's doing a lot of things, but, but, he's, but he originates it from initially from a platform of being a businessman. You know, so our, our friend Steve Farber, you know, recently published a book entitled Love is Just Damn Good Business. And Tim and I both uh, agree with that. I, and I think it's a fair statement to say in his introduction uh, from his LinkedIn page, he uses the word love. I'm very comfortable using that word. And so if you're listening to this podcast, uh, I hope you, too, will become comfortable with it because uh, it is a value. 
It is, uh, it is a, a feeling or an emotion. It is something that generates energy, uh, and it's something that is the beginning of a great story about what great leaders do and, and how to be successful, not only in business, but in life as well. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about your, your perspective around this value, this core value uh, that you know so well and that we have, have the benefit of speaking about often. Yeah, Dennis, I think both you and I uh, love the word love, pardon the pun there, but it's one of the greatest tragedies in our North American culture is that we only have one word for love. And in other cultures such as Greek, they have multiple words. And so when we say love in the workplace in North America, guess what happens? People automatically go to what the Greeks would call eros love or erotic love or the love we would expect in a romantic relationship. And that's why when you say I love you at work, the first call that person has is to the HR department and you're getting a tongue lashing. <laughs> but, do, but when we actually dig down and say to people, would you like to be part of an organization that loves its people than that loves each other? Nobody says, no, I don't want to be a part of that. I've never heard anybody say that before. When we start defining love in, in a different context as, you know, as agape, as unconditional love, or philia, as love between cousins, brothers, and sisters, when we talk about that way, people say, I want to be part of it. There was a great Harvard Business Review study that said people do better work when they feel loved and cared for at work. Uh, never in my life has anyone said, wow, Tim, that's shocking. I can't believe that. If people feel loved, they do better work in their organization. Nobody's ever said that. However, when I say, you know what, would you like to have more love in your organization? Would you like to operationalize love? A lot of people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have a hard enough time with my family. And, you know, I, love isn't something I'm bringing to work. Even, even one great business leader I know said, hey, Tim, I just got enough love for my family. I, I'm not bringing that into the workplace. And for me, I was shocked. I was like, love isn't something that's, that's, that, 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 that is just, and you have an infinite amount. It's, it's not something that you, you just have, you know, five little pieces of love you can give away. Um, you can live your life and you can make that a decision to love people unconditionally. And that's why that's part of my mission statement. Mm -hmm. So, so if, as, as a leader, if you believe with a high degree of certainty that, that, that love has its place everywhere, including in business, how do, you, how do you coach leaders to operationalize that in their businesses? So that's, that's the question. Was that, a good, was that a good question? It was a good question. Dennis, you're a great, uh, great question. <laughs> you know, they say great, you know, John Maxwell has a book that says uh, great leaders ask great questions. And, uh, and there you go. So operationalizing it. Really, it starts with what I would call management by walking around. Uh, we talked about um, uh, one of the organizations that, uh, that I work with, I'm a partner in Jack Spear Wine and Spirits. And we have a, one of our greatest leaders. I went to do a store visit and spend the afternoon at this store. And she sat me down. She said, Tim, here's what we need from you today. Because normally I go to a store, I want to show that I'm a part of the team. I'll unload a pallet if we need to. I'll stock shelves. I'll, I'll, be on, I'll be a clerk on the till if needed. So I just go there and, and I operate like everyone else and spend some time with them. She said, Tim, here's what we need today. We need you to just spend time with every person. There was nine people working that day. She said, here's what we got. From 1 to 1.30, you're with this person. After that, when you're done, you're having a coffee with this person, that coffee with that person, that coffee with that person. And all I want you to do is spend time with them and show that you care. 
And you can imagine by the end of the day, I was pretty wired with coffees, having coffee with nine different people. But often people say I'm wired at the beginning of the day anyway. But do you know what happened? I got a call from them the next day saying, Tim, that was the greatest store visit you ever did. And I said, did? I didn't lift one bottle and put it on the shelf. I didn't lift up one box. I didn't unload one pallet. I barely served any guests. And they said, Tim, you sat with each person. You asked them questions about their personal life, about their family life, and about their professional life. And you just said, I'm here to support you. What are the things I can do to support? One person said, hey, I've always wanted to ask the director of marketing this question. Why, why could we do this or why don't we do this? And, I, and, and it wasn't a massively big thing. So this person said, I would normally not bother them about it. But why don't I ask? So we picked up the phone, boom, called the director of marketing and said, hey, what do you think about this idea? He said, it's really interesting, great, a great idea. I'm going to look into it tomorrow. And so that was just a little way that just by sitting there and, you know, as we become leaders and organizations, often we think we got to fill our days with stuff, with like meetings or with, 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 um, with, with, with strategic plan or other things. And those are all good things. I'm not saying that they aren't, but sometimes we forget that as a leader, our biggest job is to support the people that we work with. And part of supporting them is spending time with them, asking them questions and telling them that we support them. One of the greatest quotes that I know of is when people come in and they start working for me on the first day, when they come into our organization, uh, the first thing I say to them is, congratulations, this is your first day to work with Jax. Yesterday was the last day that you worked for me. And today's the first day I work for you. And from today on, I work for you. Wow. It sounds like you, uh, you have the, the benefit and take great advantage of it, of almost having Jax as your, as your laboratory where you get to practice and experiment and, and try to do the things that you know are difference makers. You've heard me say in some of my talks that, uh, you know, that the, the hard skills are about doing the job. The soft skills are about how you do the job. Uh, and the how is really how, how you communicate, how you express your qualities to individuals, how, they, how you work to get to know them by doing things like what you describe. It's just off the, off the premise of I just, I just want to demonstrate caring by, by just going and sitting with people, asking them questions, talking to them. I mean, the, 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 the value of that uh, to them is more than a bonus check. And just just that recognition that I, that this person possesses qualities that enable him to demonstrate caring uh, for me as an employee of a company, and and that's that's difference making. You also again, and I and I and I always enjoy listening to you, with the exception of the fact that you mis, mispronounce certain words. But we're going to overlook that. You are Canadian, after all. This is an international podcast episode today. Uh, this is a, it's a beautiful thing. But I want you to stay on that side of the border. But I, I think that someone said, said the other day about, about me, actually it was earlier today, we were talking about the, the curriculum of a training program I've just uh, worked with, actually a Canadian uh, gentleman, a, a terrific guy to revise. And, um, and as, as she was talking, she said, you know, well, I, you know she says, you, you, can t- so you can talk about just about anything and you can do it in a motivational way. And which is a very nice thing to say, but it's cl- it's clearly, uh, and I think you are, are, are a great example of this, uh, that um, through our words and our actions, we convey our qualities to people. Yeah, they, they, they get to know who we are, not simply by what we do, uh, whether it's giving a speech or writing a report or whatever it may be. But again, it's, it's how we... How we relate to others in uh, in the context of a relationship, 
so share share some thoughts about about all, all of the import the, the importance of again my term from from author my book in 2019 is soft skills and so from the from that vantage point you know how does all in your mind how does all that work to the benefit of building relationships well if you think, you know, I don't think there's any difference between building a relationship in any aspect of your life, in your family, in your friend group, in your uh, in your business. And one of the greatest stories I know about that is um, I, I received an email. It was, it was probably close to a decade ago now. I received this email and it was a link to an article. And the article was a guy by a guy named Seth Adam Smith. And it was entitled, uh, after three months of marriage, I realized it wasn't for me. And I read the title. And I thought, why, why did you send this to me? I'm thinking to myself, three months. I know it's hard at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, there's, it's hard. But what happened that you didn't want to give it more of a chance? And so I was very intrigued and I had to read it. So I read on and he said, after three months of marriage, I realized it wasn't for me. I realized that if I didn't put 100% in to my marriage, expecting 0% in return, it wasn't going to work. If I came in saying, hey, I'm going to give my spouse 50% and I'm expecting 50% back, it's never going to work because we'll always have that expectation in return. And I use this story a lot in in my speeches because I really think that's like any um, relationship in life. If we go in just thinking about what can that person do for me or what can that company do for me, that's when things start going downhill and we start taking notes, right? Oh, that I did one today, I'm expecting one tomorrow, one from you. So this gentleman's theory then was when we go into a relationship, and in this case, a marriage, expecting nothing in return and just saying, I'm in this 100% for the betterment of this other person, that's when great things happen. And great organizations happen when we bring that same 100% accountability into our relationships in a business. When we come in knowing that, you know what? It's not always going to be equal. I'm going to put 100% into the organization, into the people that work beside me, the people I work for, the guests that I serve. Great things start to happen because the person beside you starts saying, this is how things work around here. I'm going to put 100% in for that person. I'm going to put 100% for that person. Another way of describing it really is um, by Dr. Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, Business Networking International. One of his famous sayings is giver's gain. And when people go to a BNI meeting, it, that's something that's spoken about, giver's gain, giving referrals and it's not expecting a return. But when we're all focused on giving referrals, we're going to get some in return because everybody else is focused on the same thing. So when you bring that back into that you know, operational landscape, into why the soft skills matter, how they matter, it's the same in every aspect of our lives. And when we take that, you know, that same love, that same caring, that same what I would call 100-0 into our business relationships, that's when we create great organizations. Mm-hmm. As you know, I've spent over 40 years in the construction industry. Uh, so everything that I've learned about soft skills, I learned by seeing the lack thereof for 40 years in, 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 in that industry. Do you think, with that said, is it fair to say that uh, even though my experience is in one industry, that the issue of soft skills and the value of them is not necessarily different in any other industry? That uh, uh, that your connection to even family and other activities, 
it's not it's soft skills are not just a problem in the construction industry are they no, uh, the soft skills are an issue in every industry, Dennis, and, and, and I certainly work within in Jacks in the retail industry, but I also do coaching and strategic planning for many other organizations in other industries. And it's an issue in all industries and really all walks of life. And some people then ask, well, why is that? Well, I, I, I look back initially to our, our upbringing and our educational system, right? Tell me about that great soft skills class and the leadership class you took in high school. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, no such thing. That's that's the answer. Silence. Silence. Yeah. Silence. Yeah. Right. So we don't we we teach uh, math and and English and and social studies and science and all these things, which are all great things. Mm-hmm. But what puts them all together and what creates great leaders, what creates great great communities, great cities, great organizations, etc., great families, is that those soft skills and those leadership skills. So number one, it's that is we don't prioritize them from a a young age in our educational system and even in our families. And that's, that's the first, that's the first step of, of how we're going to change that. The second step is this, and it might be a little more difficult on how to change it is in organizations, soft skills often get thrown out the window when the going gets tough. And the reason for that is it's very difficult to quantify the ROI on improving your soft skills. You and I both know if we have greater organizations with greater soft skills, with greater leadership, with greater cultures, we will have greater results. And yes, part of those greater results is operating profit. Mm -hmm. But when I'm asked to come in and say, Tim, okay, if you come in and work on soft skills for one month or one year, what will that, uh, how will that positively impact our bottom line? It's difficult for me to say that'll be $100,000, a million dollars, et cetera. But when the going gets tough and they say, okay, if I lay off 10 people, I'm going to save half a million dollars, three quarters of a million dollars. That's tangible. And they're right. They can mm-hmm. save that today. However, I'm not sure they're going to save that in the long term because that may be a net loss as opposed to investing in their people, the soft skills and their leadership. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting because um, you know an industry leader once just kind of blurted out, "We don't need no soft soft skills," which to me is a, is an admission of guilt, but also uh, also fundamentally, and this is in, in part it's generational, and so what I want to touch on the kind of the generational aspects of a number of things. But so this was a baby boomer. We don't need we don't need no soft skills. And to me, again, admission of guilt. Guilt. Uh, you know what what is that phrase? Uh, Ignorance is no defense. You know, you know, clearly when you blurt something like that out, you, you frankly, you don't know what you're talking about. Because again, people, they, 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 they think soft and they see skills and they say, okay, so what is, what, what, how do you do that? You know, you know, what is it? Well, you know, the problem is that soft skills aren't really skills. Um, you know, they're in that bucket, but you know, as, as, as I described, and, and you know my description, they are a person's qualities, attributes, behaviors, a manifestation of their values. And the only way you can uh, learn what they are and, uh, and come to uh, benefit from them in a relationship is to, to learn and get better and better at a skill which I know that, that you are brilliant at. Uh, and it's, it's, it's central to your ability to be so successful in all the places you operate. And that is communication. And, and not just in the, in the fundamental sense of, okay, so, you, so I, I should take like a, uh, uh, I should go to like Toastmasters so I can learn how to talk in front of a group of people. 
No, no, no. It's, it's more, you know, really more around how important it is to recognize that your words are one part of who you are. Your actions are the other. What do you think? Well, I, I think communication matters. Uh, and one of the greatest communication tools that I, I, I was maybe given is I was, I was, I was having a, a communication issue with someone in the workplace. And one of the people that mentors and coaches me said, well, Tim, did you ask that person what they'd like to see out of your relationship? And I'm like, oh boy, I never asked them. We're kind of at loggerheads, pounding our heads against each other. I never simply asked, what would you like to see out of this relationship? And how can I best support you? And how can I best show up for this relationship? And it seems so simple, but we don't necessarily ask people. Um, sometimes maybe it's hard. Sometimes we may, it's going to make us a bit vulnerable, right? But one of the greatest attributes of communication is number one, being self-aware, being self-aware to know what you do know and know what you don't know. And knowing that you got to become better at communication every day. You know, if, you know, if your if your organization is struggling with communication, join the club because a hundred percent organizations in the world have not reached that uh, plateau where they have great communication, right? If you think that you have, you haven't. It means you're not self-aware enough, right? We're always trying to get better at communication and find better ways to do that. So the number one thing is just being aware, being vulnerable and talking to each other about it, saying, hey, how's our meeting rhythms working? How, do, how can I best communicate with you? There are some people that love text messages. Other people love to have phone calls, right? Mm -hmm. So just asking that rather than assuming what that is or isn't. Um, some people need more FaceTime. Some people need less FaceTime. So one of the great attributes is just asking, how can mm -hmm. I best communicate with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very, and that's, that's, that's pretty basic stuff. Uh, it's, it's so basic that people don't notice how important it is to, to deal with it. Well, the question you might uh, also ask is, many people are familiar with that book, The Five Love Languages, right? Once again, just as I spoke about that article earlier, it's, it's meant to be the five love languages about romantic relationships. However, it's, it's really true for any relationship. If we ask people, how would you like to be loved? Is it in acts of service? Is it in, you know, uh, acts of, ask of giving? Is it in time, etc. right? Sometimes we don't ask people that. We think that everybody likes the same thing. We give people a gift or a bonus and we're like, oh, they weren't really, uh, they weren't really as appreciative. That person might appreciate more time. We're all mm -hmm. wired differently. So mm -hmm. when we try and put a cookie cutter into place, just like the five love languages explains, it's not going to work. You know, you've probably seen it in your relationships. I saw it in mine with my wife. I would try to love her the way I would expect to be, uh, I would want to be loved back. And it's kind of like the golden rule. The golden rule says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's uh, maybe a better way to describe that is as they would have you do unto them. Because mm -hmm. how I want to be treated is often a little bit different than how you like to be treated, right? Mm -hmm. So really asking them, how can you, how can I be the best for you? And how can I, uh, is, is really the way that we can build great cultures and great relationships. Yeah. So, we're, you know, the way we're talking about it right now, it's, it's within the realm of, uh, of our, our workplace, our family, et cetera. But when we start talking about, about the broader community and society, which takes me into another part of what I want to get your thoughts on, and that is this whole, this whole notion of, of the fact that uh, there's, there's a question that I often uh, include in my talks, 
that generally gets a, an interesting reaction from an audience. And it's within the, within the framework of talking about people and relationships. And the question is this, what is one thing that, you, that every person in this room has in common with every other person in the room? One absolute, fundamental, essential thing that you have in common with every other person in the room. And they just kind of look at each other and somebody will blurt out, we're all human beings or, you know, or this or that. And, uh, and I'll say, I said, those are all answers. And, and, and yeah, I, I would assume most of us are human beings t- today. Uh, but the answer is that we're all different from each other. Uh, so it's about it's about differences, and and again, I'm I I, I think and talk in, in relatively simple terms. You know, I continue to learn things every day that add to my ability to try to inform and and motivate people around this this topic matter that you know I have a tremendous passion for. I mean, you don't write a book and and do a four hour virtual event and other things if you don't if you're not passionate about it. And I am. So so th- you know that we're getting to the to the topic of inclusion. And again, it's a, it's a societal issue, and it's one that is more talked about now than ever. It's, I think the, the three, I think they talk DEI, the diversity, is some, uh, diversity is something and inclusion. Equity and inclusion. Equity and inclusion is the is that is the catchphrase is a catch term. One of our good mutual friends, Glodine Champion, has has done an, uh, some very good work in this area, and she does it with a great deal of passion and a tremendous history, but. So this this whole issue of you know we're talking first workplace family that's that's all good but uh, construction industry every industry that's all uh, positive but this issue of inclusion uh, and let's connect it to the leader's role how do we accept that this is right thinking that this moves over and, and touches on again another pillar of my thoughts which is social justice in our broader society you know what's you know what what do the leaders need to know need to do and how do they need to act in order to make inclusion and and social justice not something we have to parse out and talk about because it's it's everything's good well, first of all, you mentioned Glodine Champion. She's one of the the, the best uh, DEI speakers and inclusion speakers that I've seen. And she got uh, she showed me a video that's a, about five minutes long, and it's a commercial for Heineken beer. And I don't know if you've seen this, Dennis. I think you probably have. So they bring Heineken brings in two people, and they interview them both about, and they ask them questions about very polarizing political issues. And then they find people on either end of the spe- this spectrum on polarizing political issues, and then they bring them together. And when they bring them together, they just first have small talk. How are you doing? Tell me about your family. Where do you live? Just ways of building rapport. Then they give them a task. They had to build like this kind of like Lego set table, and they, they have a task to do together. They built rapport as they did that. And so over the next 15, 20, 30 minutes, they've built rapport, kind of had some fun with each other, had some laughs, right? And then all of a sudden say, uh, they say, okay, I'd like you to sit down. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about this person. And then they, they flash in this, to the screen the video of each person saying what their view is on this polarizing issue, which the two people together were extreme opposites. Mm-hmm. And they said, now we'd like to encourage you to discuss this over a Heineken. And <laughs> they said, would you like to stay or would you like to leave? And every person stayed. And they said, do you know why they said? They said, because I've built rapport with this person. This person's a good person. They care about things. They see this issue very differently than I. But the only way we're going to grow together is by 
by loving each other, having dialogue, and uh, and that's the way we're going to grow. If we don't have dialogue, and we if we do not, you know, our, our other mutual friend, um, Dennis Nancy McKay, I was just talking to her uh, yesterday about about some of these issues, and she said, Tim, it really comes down to a culture of non judgment. When I come in to every interaction I have, and I say I'm coming from a place of love. And I'm not going to come from a place of judgment. I'm coming from a place of trying to understand rather than that place of judgment. Because what happens in organizations today or in relationships is we find out somebody has this view on a polarizing political issue. And we're like, I can't, I can't hang out with that person. They don't share my values. My answer to them is, really? Is that, is that true? Or do they, do they have very similar values that they put into practice a different way? And I'm not asking you to agree with how they put into practice. I'm asking you to love them all the same. Just as we talked about that 100-0 love thing, Dennis, and after three months of marriage, it wasn't for me. Love is not conditional to people that agree with everything you agree with. If that was the case, I wouldn't be married. You know, We wouldn't be friends. Other people, I would have no friends because there's nobody in the world that thinks and acts and believes every single thing that I do. So I have a choice in life. I can have a choice to build rapport and build connection through the ways that we are like and love each other for the differences we have and have tough conversations to uh, for mutual growth. Or I can make the decision, as unfortunately many people have done in the political scene, of saying, "That's an, I'm not talking to a person that believes that. I'm not talking to a person that believes that. If we continue to do this and we don't lead with love, to people of, uh, of all different beliefs, our society will be worse off for it. I agree. Uh, well said. All right. Here's our last question. We're at, we're at, at our, at our time. Our time is about to expire, which is, which is ridiculous. We probably should do like a multi-part conversation. Maybe I, I so I, I guess I, you'll be back in the till later on in the year. You know, we'll we'll recover you. But the question is this, what's just off the top of your head? We've talked about it. We've talked about a good number of things here. What's one one piece of advice that you would offer to someone who's in a leadership role, who's listening to this podcast that can that can make a difference in his in his organization uh, for the people that he leads? One 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 first first thought off your top of your head. My favorite question came from, uh, once again, our mutual friend, Nancy McKay. And the question is, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do and how can I support you? If there's one question that a leader can ask his or her people, it is that. Because, and I'm not just talking about professionally, I'm talking about personally, professionally, family-wise. And, you know, some people say, well, Tim, how do I operationalize that? And they say, is that the question I ask when I first meet them? No, I mean, no. I mean, it's like asking someone to marry you on the first date. You got to build some rapport first. But knowing that you're coming from a place to support them uh, to any goal and dream that they have. And the really important phrase here is knowing you couldn't fail. Do you know what people say when I ask them? I'm like, knowing if, if I told you you couldn't fail, if I gave you a magic pill and in one thing you couldn't fail, what would you do? Do you know the amazing things people think about? Like people talk about, you know, running for political office. People talk about, you know, growing a company into something amazing. People talk about being the best father or mother or husband or wife they've ever, they could ever be. But in the day-to-day lives that we lead, we always have that little birdie on our shoulder saying, I don't know if you can do that. 
that's going to be too hard. You'll probably fail. But if we just change that leadership question to add, if you knew you couldn't fail, and then I'm, at, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm here to support you. Once we get that dream out there and knowing you have people around you, when you have a team, you have no choice but to succeed. We, could, we couldn't end this conversation in a better way. But seriously, this time went by like a snap of a finger. And I think, it, I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning of this conversation, and that is that we, we, uh, we share values. You know, we think about a lot of things in the same way. We feel about a lot of things in the same way. And that's, that's what's drawn me to you, and, and apparently it's drawn you in my direction. God bless you. You're, you're a very patient, understanding man. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, your wisdom, your energy, and your humanity. The, the one thing I'll add to that, you said we share values. And, and we had talked about Glodine and how she talked about inclusion and shared values. And the one thing that I've noticed is if I see a person across the room and realize that they have some different views on, on polarizing topics than me, I could go over there and get into those polarizing topics. But if I ask them what their values are, I'd be willing to bet they have similar values than me. They just have a, they've had, they have a different way of living those values. So mm -hmm. what's really interesting is people on opposite, opposite polarizing issues, opposite places and polarizing issues, they normally are there for the same darn values. So mm -hmm. if we focus on those things, we're going to bring our society together and we're going to make not only great organizations, but great communities and great people. Tim Duma, thank you so much. Dennis, I'll be back anytime. It's always a pleasure. You brighten my day anytime I'm there. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Soft as Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.